Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. There is an art to medicine. It may be obscured by elegant science and spectacular technology, yet it's there. Far from being distinct realms, art and science intertwine in unexpected ways to promote health and healing. It is this amalgam which we will explore in today's episode of Sound Practice. We are aided by the World Health Organization. Prepare to think in new creative ways about promoting healing and well-being. Let's get started. My guest today is Christopher Bailey. He is the arts and health lead at the World Health Organization. Mr. Bailey is currently heavily engaged in using the arts in COVID-19 global response. He was also instrumental in the arts and well-being, a one-day symposium at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Christopher Bailey, welcome to Sound Practice. Hello, thank you for having me. It's, it's our pleasure. I'm interested, what does the portfolio of responsibilities for the arts and health lead at the World Health Organization look like? <laughs> well, I think at a simplest level, it falls into three baskets. The first basket is the research agenda. Uh, as the World Health Organization and a public health agency, we uh, don't take too kindly to uh, basing our uh, opinions and recommendations on anecdote or feeling, we, we need evidence. And so uh, having a robust uh, mechanism to look at the evidence of what are the health benefits of the arts uh, is a, a key part of our program. The second is looking at uh, the use of uh, the, the practice of community-based arts interventions for health uh, at the local level, and, and particularly in resource-poor settings and in WHO priority areas. And uh, that, that's extremely important because it has to be more than just a measurement or an academic exercise. Uh, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to, to, to me, it, there always has to be an iterative process there. Um, so, and beyond research and practice, uh, there's, there's policy. Um, being able to convene policymakers, not just health ministers, but ministers of culture, to start having a conversation about what are the best practices, what are the evidence, and what are the health benefits of investing in the arts as a society. Uh, and, I, and that kind of completes the triad. And then, um, Cutting across all of these things is working with media companies, global media companies, local media companies of all sorts, whether it's an opera house or a uh, streaming movie service, or perhaps the most gaudy example of what we've done is the Together at Home concert that we organized with Lady Gaga at the beginning of the pandemic, which arguably reached more people uh, at a crucial time of a global health emergency than any other arts or culture event that we can name. Uh, it, it was a pretty phenomenal event when you think about it. 
Very nice. Maybe we should back up a little bit and you could give me a sense of the history of arts in, in medicine. Oh boy. Uh, well, how far back do you want to go? Uh, on, on one level, if you just look at WHO, the arts have always been uh, a part of what we do. It's uh, in, in that sense, uh, my program is not new, that since the 1940s and 50s, using the arts as part of health promotion is not uh, controversial in any way. Uh, if you go back to the rollout of the DOTS program in TB in East Africa, we used radio, we used street performers, we used soap opera uh, to uh, help destigmatize the disease, to promote uh, the, the program. Uh, and, and that was repeated with HIV, with any number of different uh, vertical programs. Uh, but it was usually done in the context of the health message that the medium was carrying, right? What's different about my program is that we're also looking at beyond just health promotion, is there any intrinsic health benefit to engaging in the arts regardless of the message? So is the listening to music or watching or participating in a dance, is there an intrinsic health benefit um, regardless of what message that you're trying to get across? And what's interesting about the evidence is that increasingly the answer is yes. Um, but if you want to go way back beyond WHO's experience, you'd have to go back 70,000 years to the midpoint of our short history of the human race uh, to the cognitive revolution, where in our midbrain, we developed this ability to start imagining things that don't exist in nature or don't yet exist in nature or haven't been perceived by us as existing in nature. And that magic what if, that ability to create, to imagine, um, is the root of both the arts, obviously, but also of science, because all science is based on the hypothesis. If you can't imagine it, then you can't test it. You can't prove that it's actually there or build it if you're an engineer. And um, so if, if you go back 70,000 years to that ancient East African now extinct lake where Homo sapiens first gathered, uh, you will find these ceremonies of people that came together and that ceremony, there was no difference between a healing ceremony, a performance, an athletic event, or a religious ceremony. It was all the same thing. And over the millennia, these things have kind of split off into separate categories for some very real reasons, but they still share some common DNA. And, and part of that common DNA, in my opinion, is this sense of compassion the sense of coming together, asking these questions, finding a path forward uh, through storytelling, through dance, through song, through movement, through dealing with the past and imagining of the future. And, and, and that, that primal use of the arts to, to imagine a way forward in the face of misfortune is something that I think became intuitively obvious during the pandemic as well. It's a very old idea. So at least the earlier part of your answer flirted on the edges of neurobiology. Yeah. Maybe we could 
spend a little bit of time, or maybe you could help me understand some of the uh, objective results that, that you have been finding, because my guess is we have some people listening to this podcast that are critics of the ability of arts to enhance uh, healing in medicine. Maybe you could uh, speak to those skeptics out there. Well, sure. Uh, I think, first of all, let's talk about what we're not talking about. Uh, I think there is a difference between curing a condition and creating a healing environment, uh, for instance. And if we go back to the WHO definition of health in the 1947 WHO constitution, it quite clearly states that health is not merely the absence of disease. It is the attainment of the highest level of physical, mental, and social well-being. And if that's our definition, then I think it becomes a little more intuitively clear how the arts can play a crucial role. Um, from a measurement standpoint, I would refer people to our 2019 uh, report uh, that uh, came out of our Copenhagen office uh, Daisy Fancourt uh, from UCL was the lead author on it, and it looked at over 5,000 studies looking at the health benefits uh, of the arts. And amongst the uh, width and breadth of, of this survey, um, you find things like uh, using cortisol levels in hospital wards to measure um, stress and how the arts can be used uh, to lower cortisol levels, to create a more healing environment, to speed recovery, to um, uh, potentially, uh, by extension, prevent some of the chronic and acute conditions that can result from sustained high-level exposures to cortisol and, and to stress. So there are specific measures out there that are, that are compelling. Um, there was one study that I recall of uh, a uh, physical rehabilitation uh, work where you had a series of physical movements from someone recovering from an injury or a surgery um, that was a specific repeated pattern. And that same pattern was done with another group except set to music. And with the group where the exact same physical recovery routine was done with music, the recovery time was 50% uh, faster. And, and that is an argument that, for instance, insurance companies will pay attention to. Uh, these are the kinds of measures that uh, are out there. But I think e even more important than um, some of the KPIs that you can cleverly design uh, to, to show some of the uh, connections there's also uh, the more qualitative aspect of it. Uh, if, if you have somebody who is suffering from cancer, um, involvement in the arts uh, may help by lowering the stress levels. Uh, but let's say, you know, listening to music is not going to cure your cancer. But if, for instance, the worst should happen and, and you do die from the condition, uh, then that end of your journey may have more meaning. It, uh, through the arts, you may find more comfort 
in that critical stage of your life story, not just for yourself, but for the loved ones and the caregivers around you. And so, so the benefits are more than just medical benefits. They, uh, they allow you to create, to curate uh, the story of your life. That's, uh, that's fascinating. To the best of your knowledge, is this body of evidence um, taught in medical schools? Well, I, I think we're at the beginning of taking this uh, more seriously in the sense of rigor. In the, uh, and I, I think we're seeing in different institutions around the world it becoming more incorporated into the course of study. Uh, but, but I think that's a, actually a very fertile ground for future uh, investigation, and not just in medical schools, but um, also in primary and secondary education with children. Uh, the, the argument that has often been used of funding the arts in education systems, whether it's at the professional level or at the primary or secondary level, is um, a more utilitarian argument that uh, to, to use the argument of the creative economy, uh, that if you invest in the arts, there are these ancillary benefits of the leisure industry, or if you teach it to children, their grades and other subjects will improve, which I, I think is fine. Um, but I, I think a more compelling argument that's coming out of the neurology is that when you become proficient at the arts, uh, things like your executive functions become strengthened. Your ability to cope, to plan, to uh, be persistent, to solve problems, to, uh, to, to work as a team, all of these things become strengthened. And uh, the, the more objective evidence we see of that, uh, the, the more I think uh, it, it will become in intuitively obvious why we need to invest in the arts in our educational system uh, to, to become a whole person. And, and, and that gets back, frankly, again, to the fundamental definition of health, at least in the English language, the word health comes from the Anglo-Saxon, which is cognate with whole. Uh, being healthy is not about the absence of disease. Being healthy is about becoming a whole human being and creativity and empathy and uh, interaction and, and communication and harmonizing and imagining a, a common solution together is part of what makes us human. Are there some cultures that are more receptive to this than, than others? <laughs> well, uh, yes. Uh, I, I actually think that with advanced industrial economies or post-industrial economies, we've moved further and further away from mm -hmm. thinking about these things in an integrated or holistic way uh, for you know, some very practical reasons. Uh, and part of it is the commodification of the creative economy, that if you uh, are not the expert, if you're not making money off of it, then somehow it's amateurism, it's, it's you write it off without, I think, a deeper understanding that 
the creative act is something that all of us do anyway, whether we recognize it or not. And it's a key part of uh, our daily health. Uh, so, um, and, and, and that became more and more apparent in the pandemic, uh, for instance. My, one of my favorite quotes is from Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist who said, loneliness is not the absence of people. Loneliness is the inability to express what matters to you most. And I think during the pandemic, during the darkest days of the lockdown, we felt that palpably. Not only were we physically alone, but many of our assumptions about how we relate to ourselves, to each other, to society, to the environment, um, were proven untrue. And, and the, the, the deepest needs that we felt in our heart of hearts were not being addressed by society. And, and I, I don't think the Black Lives Matter uh, resurgence or the Me Too resurgence during the pandemic was an accident. Uh, I, I think this crisis was more than just a medical crisis. It was a social crisis. And the solution to these issues uh, have to be a creative solution uh, as much as a technological solution. Since we're on the topic of the pandemic, unfortunately, as, as you and I speak, we're still in the midst of a, of a global uh, pandemic of yeah. COVID-19. Can you tell me about how the World Health Organization is using arts to respond to COVID-19? Well, um, on the one hand, there are the sort of big ticket events like the Together at Home concert, like uh, um, working with uh, movie television companies to uh, put out uh, pro-health messaging to build a sense of solidarity of, of working together and not against each other. Um, uh, all of this, I think, is, is very important. But also, I think um, working with Google Health and some other uh, groups out there, trying to give people the tools, the, the confidence to practice creativity in their lives um, on an individual and daily basis as well. It's, it's not just about messaging from above. It's about um, healthful practice in your lives. So uh, particularly at the height of the pandemic, um, making sure that you're, you're eating well, that you're, you're paying attention to the needs of the spirit of, of relationships, of, of society uh, where you can, being able to volunteer in your community um, to, to create together uh, a path forward. These are all healing actions. And, uh, so WHO has been through a variety of different uh, methods uh, supporting uh, this kind of empowerment. Uh, and I think it's important to note that this is about supporting people's creative reflex uh, as an important part of, of their health. It's not about top-down messaging per se. You know, it's not about telling people what to think or what to feel. It's about uh, encouraging them to think and to feel with each other. 
You're helping put on a one-day symposium at the Metropolitan Museum of Art focused upon healing in the arts. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about that and also its availability via the internet? Oh, sure. Yes. If you go to the Met website, uh, you'll see YouTube links where you can watch it uh, streaming. Uh, it, so it's it's available to anyone. But it's a day-long symposium, and it, it is structured around this three-part theme of research practice and policy. And so we will have uh, experts, policymakers, researchers, and practitioners talking about it. But I think it's also important when, when we are in the field of arts and health to not just talk about it, but to do it. And experiencing it is, is half the battle. You talked earlier about, you know, there may be skeptics out there uh, that um, may, may not uh, see this as obvious of the arts having any kind of a healing quality. And yes, I can point you to data, I can point you to studies, but at the end of the day, what, what actually convinces you is the experience. And uh, I, um, you know, maybe if I might, I can take uh, three minutes and actually attempt to, to give you that experience right now. Please, uh, and, please do so. Yeah. So one thing that we haven't mentioned, because it isn't directly relevant to this conversation, is that I happen to be nearly completely blind. I have uh, over 95% vision loss. Uh, I, I suffer from uh, terminal glaucoma. My optic nerve has withered away to uh, 5% of its normal mass. And this happened relatively recently. And during that period of loss, I it was more than just a physical loss, I felt emotionally exiled from the world. I felt that much of the way that I experienced beauty and joy had disappeared. Um, and in, in a way, it was like a death. And, and like death, I experienced it in, in different phases. There were times when I felt tremendous grief uh, at, at the loss of, of what I no longer had. I felt anger. Uh, why me? Why is this happening to me? Uh, I also went through periods of denial. This is not happening to me. And I refused to use the cane. I refused to use the, the filtered lenses. And, uh, and I even went through a bargaining phase. Uh, if I eat differently, uh, will my optic nerve regenerate? Uh, and and then like death, you, you eventually slowly enter an acceptance phase where I, I did start using the cane, I did start using the tinted glasses. I, but unlike death, there's a phase afterwards, which I call the transcendent phase. And in the case of the visually impaired or the blind, it's literally a neurological transformation. The neuroplasticity of the brain begins to rewire where it, since the visual cortex is not getting enough information from the optic nerve, it begins to create new neural pathways to the other senses. 
And slowly what began to emerge was this oral landscape as I began to learn echolocation. And this world was not nearly as acute as the visual world, but somehow was more palpable, more immediate. Because when you think about it, what is sight? Sight is the reflection of the surface of things. Sound passes through matter. It, it's in some ways more connected to the environment. And so rather than feeling exiled, suddenly I felt more connected to the world around me. And I saw the darkness not as an isolation, but a profound opportunity for contemplation. So just as you might willingly close your eyes to better savor a glass of red wine, just as you might willingly close your eyes to better embody a beautiful piece of music, just as you willingly close your eyes to trace the gentle slope of a lover's forearm, so too do I accept the closing of my eyes to better share this moment with you. And to me- Roy, well, well said. Thank you for sharing that. That's the power of, of uh, the healing power of art, uh, to take a misfortune and create your meaning in it. As we wrap up our time together, maybe you can tell me what's on the horizon for you and the World Health Organization. Well, uh, one of, in the arts and health area, one of the things that uh, I'm very excited about is uh, something that we're calling the Healing Arts Lab, and uh, where we're going to do a deep dive into uh, the evaluation of these uh, arts-based community projects for health, and uh, to, to do a serious look at it deepening and broadening uh, the evidence base in a more systematic way and working with organizations like the NIH and others on uh, a proper uh, evaluation and indicator framework uh, so we can compare apples to apples. And that's not just quantitative, but qualitative as well, because uh, I, I, I think it's important uh, to, to look at both sides of the coin. Um, we also have activations coming up next year, uh, one in Houston uh, in January, which I'm very excited about. Uh, there uh, is also one that we've committed to in Rwanda uh, in November of next year, uh, which is going to kick off uh, a collaborating center from the University of Global Health Equity uh, in Kigali um, that uh, is going to look at the evidence base for um, arts and health in African medicine, both traditional and uh, you know, more modern medicine. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very excited uh, uh, about these upcoming events. And there are a number that haven't been quite finalized yet that are also on the horizon. So uh, I, I think you know, next year is going to be a, a, a very exciting year for this field. This has been a fascinating discussion for purposes of our audience. In the show notes, I will uh, post links to um, information on the World Health Organization's uh, art and healing program. I can't well, thank you enough. 
Yeah, my, my, my pleasure. And what I would say to the skeptics out there is that there's nothing wrong with being skeptical. We, we do need evidence and, and we do, uh, skepticism is healthy. But I remember when I first uh, began to propose this uh, project uh, at WHO, there were some that sort of wrote it off dismissively as recreational. And I said, well, listen to that word, recreation. That's healing. It is indeed. My guest has been Christopher Bailey, the arts and health lead for the World Health Organization. Mr. Bailey, thank you very much for being on Sound Practice. Thank you. My thanks to Christopher Bailey of the World Health Organization. For more information on this topic, please see the show notes for this episode. Many thanks to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making Sound Practice possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Pat is holy cow. That man Robin. Rip book about.